I want to remind you that we'll be observing our Lord's Supper at the conclusion of the service. And if you uh, did not get an opportunity to pick up one of the little self-contained units that we're using for that, you can do so now. They're in the back, right by the offering plate, by the door, if you'd like to get one of those. I'm going to begin by reading John chapter 12, the first eight verses there, as we spend a little time looking at the concept of giving and taking. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Jesus Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus said. It was intended that she should save this perfume For the day of my burial, you will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. May God honor the reading of his word. Let us pray. Father, bless us today as we seek to find truth in your word that would transform us into the image of Jesus as we walk through this world. Father, protect us and keep us safe so that we can continue to pursue such a walk. In your holy name we do pray. Amen. We began a little while after Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. And he's come back to the area in Bethany where he had been because the Passover was about to start. Our text tells us that it's, it's going to happen in six days. What that means is we are getting close to the end of Jesus' earthly ministry and His Passion Week. Those reclining at the table were preparing for the meal. And in the midst of that, Mary picks up an alabaster container. She breaks off one end of it. It's full of pure nard. Now let me explain to you about this perfume. If you bought perfume lately, you know it's pretty expensive. But this perfume was not just used as a commodity to make you smell better or be more pleasant. It was held as a commodity almost like we would buy silver or gold. And the value of this was about $25,000 in today's money. When she broke this and poured it over his feet, she was expressing something very powerful there. She was saying that in her life, suddenly, giving to Jesus was more important than saving for herself. She literally took her entire 
pension plan. And she donated it to her Lord out of a conviction that he was her future. Her future was not found in what she had preserved there. It was found literally and truly in Jesus. And in expressing this, she says something amazing to all of us about how we should look at our lives. Now, they were having a dinner, and they were at the home of Simon. Now, this Simon the leper can be one of several people. He could be Mary and Martha and Lazarus' father, some people imply. He could be one of the ten lepers, the one that came back and thanked him. Or he possibly could just be Simon the Pharisee, but most of us don't believe that's who he is. He is there welcoming them in for a meal. And when you do that back then, it wasn't just a matter of, of inviting somebody in to eat. People would come around and greet their guests. There were usually some dignitary, religious leader, or political person that, that everyone would want to get to know. I can remember going up to my foster dad's family's homes in Tennessee and very often, if we stayed more than three days, we ended up in the paper because they would always mention who was visiting from where. That tells you how small the town was that we were visiting in. But sort of like that, when someone came to visit, there was a purpose and a reason for them being there. And, and this was a time that was very special when Jesus came. Mary did not do this to show off. This was not a custom of the people at that time. Not at all. She was expressing something from her heart, moved by the Holy Spirit, that she had to do. And yet in doing so, Jesus acknowledged that she was doing something that was absolutely and totally in line with His perfect will. Because she was anointing Him for His death. Now you say that's a morbid thing to say, but, but the truth be told, he was giving them one more understanding that his life was about to end. You know, it's so unusual how we can become blind to things round about us that are so true. I've learned this little trick. I had a, a Harvard PhD psychologist in my church in Zebulon, Georgia. Brilliant man, brilliant man. And he would give these little tricks about how to overcome some of the brain's inadequacies. And one of the things he always said was, he said, if you are looking for your keys, for instance, or your wallet or your phone or whatever, and you can't find them, you're not sure where they are, he said, close your eyes and for five seconds imagine what they look like. And then look for them. And I said, Perry, why should I do that? I, I know what I'm looking for. He said, no. He said, the brain does not have a strong visual sense from your thought. He said, how many times have you looked right at what you're looking for and looked over it? I said, got me there most of the time. And he said, you need to get that visual sense of what it is. Then you will find it. In the same way here, Mary gave a visual sense of what was about to happen. 
The disciples thought Jesus was going to take over and rule the Roman Empire. Trust me, he wanted something larger than that. He did not come to this earth in the incarnation at the, at the behest of his father simply to save the Roman Empire from evil people. Not at all. He didn't even come just to save the lost. Read your scripture. He came to take back what belonged to God that was taken away in the fall of mankind. Remember, it wasn't just man that fell. It was creation that fell. And God sent his son to save us, but also to turn things back to God. For creation to be restored and remade. All this will not be finished when you get to heaven. Read the book of Revelation. There's much to be done. But Mary started out in such an amazing way of demonstrating that. By taking literally her pension, her, her plan for retirement, her opportunity to be taken care of. Because remember, if, if a woman did not have a family that was wealthy, and she did not have a husband if he had died or she had never married. In the midst of all of that, she would be helpless. And she was letting go of this in such an amazing way. Mary showed her love and adoration for our Lord, her total commitment to Him. I entitled this, uh, uh, giving and taking, because there's an old saying that, that I heard growing up, and it went something like this, that the takers eat well and the givers sleep well. In the midst of this, we've got a giver and a taker. Mary is giving to Jesus everything. She'd already given her heart and her life to Him, but she gave all of her possessions to Him. It really didn't matter. She knew the time was coming for his kingdom to be ushered in, and she wanted to be a part of that. Now, in the midst of that, there was one Judas Iscariot. Judas is undoubtedly one of the most universally known and scorned men in the world. As an old preacher said one time, you never name your children Judas or Adolf. You name your pit bull Judas and Adolf because you want them to be distrustful and mean. You want people to question them and be afraid. Judas was called to be a disciple. Think about that. He was one of the apostles. He walked with Jesus. Three years that ministry was public. Yet in the midst of that, what did he do? His heart was turned to things of this world. He was a perfect image of the other disciples except for the fact that his heart was turned against him. To understand what's going on here, you have to realize that, that Judas chose to squander his spiritual blessings by loving the things of this world. In betraying the sinless Lamb of God, for mere 30 pieces of silver. And by the way, 30 pieces of silver was roughly $350 in, in money today. Whereas Mary had just given $25,000, her pension had given it away. 
Judas wanted to be the treasure of the disciples. It's very plain that he carried the, the treasury, the bag that kept the money that, that, that they used for food and such as that. And apparently, he very often took from that bag. Examine your own heart. What matters more to you? Things of this world such as money and material things or God? God will always supply your needs. He has a way of doing that. He will meet that every need. And, and, and there's a way to hold money but not let it hold you. I've always said that tithing is, is a gift for us, not for God, because He doesn't need our money. That 10% is about something very simple. It's about you understanding that you love God with everything you have, with your heart, soul, your mind, and even your possessions. Love means that if somebody has a need, you understand that God provided for you to provide in that need. It means that you don't question why they have that need or how they came to that place. All inadequacies of life are brought by sin. Either the person's sin or someone else round about them. That's just the reality of life. Jesus made a statement at the end of this that really was not a statement, theologically speaking, it was just a reality. He said, you'll always have poor people with you. Now what he means by that was simply this. Number one, poverty is, is the product of sin. Because sin, when it comes forth, and we've talked about this before, all sin, all the commandments point to one thing. The central sin is coveting. Wanting something that's not yours. Lucifer coveted the glory, the power, the authority, and the majesty of God himself. And he said, I want to be like the Most High God. And every sin we ever commit is focused on coveting or wanting something. And because of coveting, there are people who are hurt, who end up poor, that have their means taken away from them. There are also people who, in their selfish greed, find themselves in a state of poverty. Billy Graham said many years ago in, in one of his crusades in Wisconsin. I'll never forget it. I, I, I was listening to it on television, and it hit me between the eyes when he said it. He said this. He said, greed is not the sole act of rich people. He said, some of the greediest people I've ever met were poor people. He said, the only difference is, he said, the poor people tended to consume everything on themselves or lose it in their futility in life. But he said, greed is not something that just rich people have. All people struggle with greed. And I believe that's why we have the poor with us. Uh, I said the other day, and I'll say it again, Thelma, Alabama, percentage-wise, has more poor people than almost any city in the South. But we also have the healthiest, most overfed poor people ever. Because in the midst of thinking about that, I want to remind you of this. Life's not about bread and eating. It's about the bread of life. 
And it breaks my heart that, that we do a good job of feeding people here. We don't do a good job of sharing the truth of the gospel. We need to change that. We need to change the way we relate to people. Now, I want to look at a, a couple of steps here in, in, the, in the progress of what's happening in this story for you, if I may, quickly. I want you to realize that Judas's calling was more significant than Mary's in some ways. Because the, the apostles were to go out into the world and share the truth of the gospel. They were to be the initiators of that. They were the ones that Jesus spent his most precious time with. Yet in the midst of that time, somehow, Judas did not figure out what was going on in his own heart. Jesus warned us in the Sermon on the Mount that the outward manifestation of God's glory is not sufficient proof of one's salvation. You know the passage there in Matthew 7 where, where he says, Many have said this and this and, th and done this in my name. And he said, No, I don't know you. The reality is doing good things in Jesus' name does not mean that Jesus is in our heart. Judas stood alongside the others and did good things. He cast out demons. He healed the sick. He even raised the dead. Matthew 10 is very plain about the gifts they were given. But in the midst of all of that, he never caught hold of the truth of Jesus. You know, it's amazing that, that we have the, the, the understanding that there were people that did not know who God was, but they obeyed him. The Pharaoh did. The Pharaoh listened to him and never really submitted to his will because when the people of God left, the Pharaoh said, I'm still God. The Babylonians listened to God when he made an agreement with them to, to bring the Hebrew people into captivity. Cyrus the Great made a deal with God, and he obeyed God but he never worshipped God as his Savior. What's sad but true, Judas is, we can place him below those pagan peoples. Now secondly, Mary had a correct understanding of material things. She knew that the things of this world did not matter, that the kingdom that was being ushered in was more important. She realized that it all centered on Jesus. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes to the Father but by me, he was not making a foolish exaggeration. He was stating absolute truth. Mary got it, and Judas didn't. But lastly, realize this. Judas' betrayal of Jesus is the first thing of sincerity he had ever done in Scripture. Everything else had been insincere. Up until then, he was a pretender. But then the, the real Judas came out. He looked over what was going to happen and he refused it. And he sold Jesus away for 30 pieces of silver. By the way, do you know what 30 pieces of silver was paid for in that time? To the, to the, the leaders, spiritual leaders... When a slave had run away and you captured that slave and brought him back, 
you were given 30 pieces of silver. It breaks my heart to think about that. It's a graphic, compelling, but sad picture of how his life ended. Yet many of us can start out that road and, and with good intentions, but failing to really grasp the understanding of confessing our sin, admitting that Jesus is our Savior, and allowing the Holy Spirit to come within us. That is so important. You can do everything to the edge and never take that step into faith of yielding and submitting and confessing. And your life will be just like those who stood and watched. Judas', Judas life is an eternal warning to those who believe their works can buy salvation. No, they can't. Judas Iscariot thought somehow he could make it on his own. He was a clever man, but he was a failure. You know, in, in the Passion Week, there are three faces of failure that we watch during that time. There's Simon Peter, who, who three times denies the Lord and curses his name and, and goes away in hiding. There's also the situation of Pontius Pilate, who was warned by his wife to leave Jesus alone, that he was a good man. And Pilate failed and made the wrong decision, turning Jesus over to his, the religious leaders of the Jews. But then there's Judas, the ultimate failure. Going the distance and still forgetting what it was all about. Being so close. You see, that's what terrifies me. You can sit in a pew every Sunday, read your Bible, attend Sunday school, do everything that makes you look like a good Christian, and you still can die and go to hell because you've never yielded to him. Remember this, Satan's at the door, not just the door of, of, of the church and of Christians' lives. He's at the door of lost people's lives. And as they are considering what they should do, very often he plants a seed in their heart that leads them away. And one of his greatest tools is money. Please make sure that, that Jesus is your Savior and Lord today. Don't leave here without that. We're going to have a time of observing the Lord's Supper. May that be a time for you to examine your faith and to see that you have that true faith. For we're going into a world that's very dark. It's very different than the one most of us started out in. There are a lot of struggles there. Christianity is not the norm any, anymore in America. Uh, we're in a world where there are many gods worshipped. And our light must shine as it's never shined before. May you find yourself faithful. Let us pray. Father, I thank you that your holy word strengthens us. It also warns us, Lord, to be faithful to you and to be fearful of the sin that so easily encapsulates our life. May we understand that as we are here today, we're here to, to worship you, Lord. And the greatest act of worship is for us to surrender our lives to you again and again. That we understand it's so easy for us to get distracted in this world. And we must not allow anything to draw us away from you. And Lord, I pray as we 
sing the song of decision, we would be prepared to surrender whatever you would offer to us to do and that we would say, yes, Lord, even now, for it's in your holy name we do pray. Amen.